0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor Rich Eisen, and as always, I am joined by my partner in crime for the pod, uh, Tim Foster. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm well. How are you, Rich? I am doing fabulous. Uh, Thank you. Uh, We're joined today by a gentleman who has uh, a job title that I can only describe as unusual. Um, I'm sure he'll agree that that is not the first time it's been described that way. Uh, We're joined today by Daniel Cooperman, who is the homelessness czar for the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, which most of us know as BART. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm Will. Thanks for having me. Oh, hey, thanks for being here. I'm I'm really excited actually because this is a a really interesting topic, of course. It's one we cover a lot, but also uh you have a really interesting job title and job. And and so for those folks who may not be fully up to speed on this, what exactly is a homelessness czar? Uh,
2: you know, that changes every day depending on the week and the month of the year, but um you know, for as it relates to Bart, it's really addressing homelessness, mental health crisis within our system. Um, that's the the easy way to say it. Every day looks a little different, um, but it's really trying to respond to our quality of life life issues that we see across the Bay Area, and then how that relates to our transit system.
1: Well, and of course, it is a transit system first and foremost. And I think most people probably don't think of Bart in the context of dealing with a massive societal issue like homelessness. How did Bart come uh, to decide to go this route and, and create a position specifically to deal with uh, homelessness as an issue?
2: Yeah, I think the crisis that homelessness is, unsheltered homelessness in the Bay Area, and the dramatic rise over the last decade in the total population, it was impossible to ignore. So back Backtracking a couple of years ago, the board of directors and the executive leadership here made a decision to really put their hands around it and try and address the system, both for the folks who get stuck within BART, but also for the general ridership, as this is something that, you know, they continue to highlight for us.
1: Well, and, you know, again, the thing I'm trying to wrap my brain around, and I've been on BART many, many times over the years, and I've certainly, you know, I think anyone who writes BART has seen, you know, on un-, un- homed people uh, on BART on the regular, what, what kinds of things are you doing in this regard? I mean, what, what actual steps are you taking to deal with this issue?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we have a few things, both internal and then external things that we are doing. Um, so internally, beyond my position that was created here at BART, Um, Back in 2020, we launched our Progressive Policing Bureau, which is a co-responder model that pairs um, a crisis intervention specialist with a sworn officer to again address quality of life issues, mental health concerns. We have, you know, thousands of calls come into our police department every month for, you know, mental health wellness checks. And so, you know, those by nature are not criminal. And so we created this Progressive Policing Bureau. Uh, which is 20 crisis intervention specialists with 10 officers to be able to have a different kind of response. You see now this co-responder model is sort of popping up all across the country, both within transit and then you know in our local cities and counties. Um, so that's internally what we're doing as well as my position. And then externally, we do have partnerships um, with service providers. So we have you know a few um, external outreach teams that are out there doing homeless outreach, both. Um, in the system and then also on BART property encampments that are under our tracks or on BART property. Um, we also have our elevator attendant initiative and our restroom attendant initiative, as well as that's um, with a new partnership with San Francisco, we now have attendants who are in the unpaid areas or four downtown stations. That's one of our newest endeavors just to, you know, bring a little more support to the folks who are there and struggling.
1: And what kinds of things? So let's just say you get, uh, called out to an encampment and you know do you try to connect people with services i mean i'm going to presume you don't just go there until then they have to leave so what what kind of thing would would somebody expect to see in this response
2: yeah so the the main point is definitely connecting folks with services i think in, in the bay area our cities and counties have done a great job with leveraging you know most recently all this the COVID funding that's come through to address homelessness. Um, That being said, there's a lot of encampment closures that are just pushing people left and right. There's a huge gap in the services that are needed versus what's available still, even with the massive, you know, new massive levels of investment. Um, So services aren't necessarily readily available for folks. So a lot of the times at encampments, it's really beginning that relationship, right? Um, We also, you know, we also have a lot of encampment-related fires that, attract, that affect service, that affect infrastructure. And so it really depends on the nature, how many people are there, what we're hearing from our local cities and communities about, you know, if complaints are coming in. But, yeah, the main goal is to connect folks with services. Again, that's not much easier said than done. So how did you end up doing this? What, what was your background that
0: made you the homeless? Or homelessness czar for, for BART? How did you land this?
2: That is a great question. So yeah, a little bit about me. I started in the nonprofit sector. Uh, I did a little over 13 years doing everything from eviction defense work to um, a lot of direct service with mental health and homeless housing outreach programs across the Bay Area. Um, I did that for a long time, sort of moved my way up the nonprofit ranks. uh, And then after that, I, I worked for Alameda County for a little bit um again doing housing and homelessness issues and so as a lifelong lifelong writer someone who used to take BART to school every day uh I saw this job and I was like you know the people who are in the system creating policies procedures there's a lot of great thinking a lot of action that is happening but for me personally I was you know very interested in trying to address something from a different angle at this point it was you know I had never seen anything like this in a transit agency And so um, that's that's what drew me to this job. Um, And now it's very interesting to see, you know, sort of nationally at other larger transit agencies, my similar role is getting replicated. So it's not just something that's a BART only issue. It's really public transit across America. Um, And so we actually have our own little network of folks who have sort of come from the nonprofit or government sector into now this transit lane um, as, you know, unicorns within transit. So, we have our little working group that um, addresses be- best practices and, you know, we're able to bounce ideas off each other. Interesting. And is there anything you have gleaned
0: from your uh, fellow folks doing this work from other places? Any? Did they have any kind
2: of innovations you've been able to to bring, bring along? You know, definitely. We were sort of the first the table in terms of piloting stuff whether it was our transit ambassador program or our elevator program everyone's facing the same issues whether it's you know what do you guys do at the end of the night end of line stations where folks are getting off or you know what are you doing at opening what what are you doing with elevators we have all these societal issues that come right like there's needles everywhere whatever it might be um we're all facing very similar things that obviously at different magnitudes um but you know, the biggest thing is that we're all fa- with these issues that we're all facing, it's helpful to hear that other people are also facing the same thing. So I think there's a little bit of that that really is helpful. How do you coordinate with your local cities and counties when, you know, folks are really struggling to address what's going on in their cities? So giving the attention within a transit system that's sort of out of sight, out of mind. How do you bring eyes to that? Um, yeah. And so. Mm hmm.
0: You've mentioned elevators multiple times, so elevators are are a serious part of this issue. What what's the deal with it? elevators?
2: Yeah, so we were having that was one of the first initiatives that predated me here at Bart. So in our downtown stations, we were everything from people sleeping there. It was there were overdoses happening. It was just sort of a you know a hidden zone. And then the number of complaints that were coming in from you know folks who have uh, mobility issues, not being able to use or feeling unsafe. In the elevators was a big thing. And so trying to address that was very helpful. Um, You know, the lack of public restrooms also played a part in that elevator thing. That's, again, a citywide geographic issue that there's not access to public restrooms, especially during, you know, the early days of the pandemic when everything was shut down and public transit was really one of the last things that was open. Well, how
1: has the pandemic? impacted all of this because you started right in the heart of the pandemic right 2021 i did yes uh, and i you know i know that um housing became a much bigger problem even uh, than it had already been at you know at the beginning of the pandemic uh, how has that played into everything that that you guys are trying to do and the and the situations that you're dealing with
2: yeah i think the relationship between public transit and unsheltered riders, it's always been there. So there wasn't, you know, a massive surge with the pandemic. It was just with the lo- loss of ridership, everything was much more visible, right? So when you have less total people, what's there is is a little more visible, right? And so it gave us the room to try and navigate and um, innovate some solutions.
1: What's the response been from the public? Is, is, is there, do you have any feedback that you're working with that helps you guide some of the strategies
2: yeah you know we have customer surveys customer satisfaction surveys that we do um we also have our customer service complaint line right so that's where people are reaching out directly saying this is what's you know this is what i would like to see addressed within bart so you know i take those opportunities to reach out to each rider individually and try and see what's the best way that bark can address it and be very open to ideas, right. Addressing homelessness within a moving system. We're like a little city on, you know, on a train. Um, so it's much easier said than done. And so, you know, taking those opportunities to actually connect with people and hear, you know, some of the ideas very much off the wall, not something that's possible, but, you know, being able to talk to writers directly is something that I value in terms of just, you know, that's the constituent base. That's who you need to speak to. Um, and we're trying to make, you know, BART the most enjoyable, safe, and, you know, connect people to where they need to go.
0: Now, do your homeless constituents ever have suggestions that have proved valuable? I would think that they they would be people who would really know what might help them navigate that system best.
2: Yeah, 100%, right? In terms of the people that, you know, I'm trying to connect with services that, you know, our agency is doing the work, their feedback is the most valuable a lot of the you know their feedback though is things that are honestly out of bart's control right like how do we change our systems that are siloed we're we're going across five counties that don't necessarily speak to each other right this isn't a bay area only issue this is you know a, a national issue where you have a separate substance abuse system you have a s- separate behavioral health system you have a separate homeless system right Not to mention folks who are trying to navigate getting benefits, whether it's, you know, general assistance or Social Security, right? There's all these different things. And so to to navigate that, you know, that's the biggest thing that I always hear when I talk to folks. It's like, I don't even know where to start. And when I do know where to start, getting to step two, three, four and five is still ridiculously difficult. So how do we make things, you know, as straightforward and smooth for the folks who are really needing the help? Because right now, there's been so much progress since I started doing this work. Um, that being said, there, there's a long way to go in terms of our overall system um, connections.
1: Well, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up, Tim, because I'm curious how the other agencies around, and you just mentioned a bunch, and, you know, my daughter works in homelessness uh, services for Sacramento County, so I, I hear this a lot, you know, the challenges of inter agency and intra agency dealings how has your effort been received around the region do you find you get a lot of cooperation or is it just one more thing that people the other agencies feel they have to deal with i mean what's been that response
2: that's a really good question uh you know it differs a little bit depending on who i'm talking with right but overall the response has been great it's you know, most the response is most around bandwidth of what each department can do and the budgets they are allocated, right? So I think everyone's happy that BART has taken this step, trying to address things within the system, um, within our system. But it is a bandwidth issue for, you know, counties, cities, all these departments that are trying to address the same thing for their jurisdiction. It's bandwidth and it's a financial conversation.
1: And I I understand you have an actual homeless action plan. Can you give us an overview of that and maybe what it's taken to get to this point and maybe what it is looking like going forward?
2: Yeah. So that was one of the big things that our board of directors highlighted with the creation of my job was, you know, trying to make a roadmap for where BART is in six months, one year, five years, right. In terms of addressing this issue, I think, you know, honestly, Homelessness is not going away tomorrow, it's not going away next year. Um, the numbers continue to rise. So how, what, how can BART be a partner in this, but also realizing that we are a transit agency is sort of the backdrop of my homeless action plan. Um, so, you know, some of the main tenants is really focusing on being a regional partner, um, highlighting the necessity of public-private partnerships to address these things. Um, these societal issues and then funding, right? We have these initiatives that, you know, are mostly self-funded. We have some partnerships where there's financial backing. Um, We just launched a partnership with a a foundation that funded an outreach team, which is really exciting. Um, But trans is not eligible for homelessness funding for the most part. Right. Um, And so how, how can we, allow ourselves or make ourselves eligible for this funding when we are seeing such a dramatic, you know, presence and folks who are really disconnected. And we're also, you know, it's also a little tougher because we might see someone who's four counties away from where their community is. And that's much harder in a moving system to address that. So the, that funding piece is also, you know, what are we going to do to try and get that um, looped into BART system?
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that transit was not eligible for homeless funding because clearly the state is throwing a ton of money at this right now. Historic levels. Historic levels. Really, really kind of mind-boggling numbers. And you guys don't get a slice of that at all? No, not a dollar. So the president is pretty famously a
0: train and transit enthusiast, rail transit enthusiast, uh, has the has the federal government made any kind of investment in in
2: this that would apply to what you're doing, or is that just too far afield for them? You know, there there have not been many opportunities at the federal level for us. We, you know, when I got here, we did uh, apply for a federal grant that's partnership of mental health clinicians with law enforcement. So from the federal level, there is some opportunities like that. Um, but not sort of big dollar amounts in terms of you know, and relatively big dollar amounts, right? Like a couple million dollars a year to really try and implement uh, significant programming, right? So that, that those opportunities have not come across us.
1: When you look ahead, even a, even a year or so, is there any uh, goal that you can define here? you say I mean, as you know, the numbers are still rising. And that's well beyond your control. You can't control the number of homelessness out there. I'm sure you would if you could, right? Yes. But, uh, you know, as you look ahead with the plan or anything else, I mean, are there, are there goals that you can talk about uh, for what you're trying to get done, at least in the
2: short term? Yeah, no, there's, there's metrics developed as part of the plan. I think, you know, a big piece of that is a reduction in the amount of income insights that we have the reduction in amount of calls for service for wellness checks. So we did put those out as sort of baseline. And then as well as our survey, um, our survey results. And then we also do uh, train and station sort of point in time counts. So seeing reductions in those, knowing that people are getting to where they need to go and are getting connected with the programming that we have implemented.
0: And so now when you say wellness check, is that when some say another rider sees someone that they believe is having either they passed out or they've, they're having an episode. Is that what that is? And, and your, your Com- goal was to kind of cut down on those
2: completely. Right. So if someone's, you know, there's a lot of nooks and crannies within BART system. And so there's a lot of folks who go unseen for a very long time. I mean, the amount of sort of Narcan deployments that, that are used is really astronomical. Obviously that's not unique to BART, but, um, but that's across the Bay Area in terms of overdose numbers, right? San Francisco recorded more overdose deaths than deaths related to COVID. Um, you know, trying to address some of that and really go from having the necessary tools to go from very reactive to more preventative work, that,
0: that that's the main goal here. Got it. Well, and, you know, and, and we're in Sacramento, and frankly, uh, that's certainly not uh, limited to the Bay Area.
1: We certainly have that those issues here for sure. Daniel, uh, one thing I really wanted to, and I should have asked this earlier because you, you brought it up just a little bit. So I'm just circling back, but do you have an idea of how much this issue affects your ridership? Uh, you know, when you, whether it's through surveys or whatever other kind of feedback that you get from, from your ridership, is there a sense for how much the issue of homelessness is affecting uh, BART's regular ridership?
2: yeah so we actually uh in two days have our board workshop and so our customer experience section is a pretty large uh topic that's going to be discussed there and so with all of our uh, customer service surveys it's one of the main issues it's really right there at the top in terms of you know addressing homelessness and mental health crisis within bart and you know because again we serve such a diverse population of individuals people who come from a certain area might not have as much might not be as comfortable or have as much tolerance for seeing things that people from other areas are more used to, right? Um, so it 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 is right up there in terms of the things that writers are calling in or or telling us about. Well,
1: uh, this is fascinating, and uh, I know that um, we could probably ask you a lot more questions, but I think we'll probably wrap up here. But Daniel, thanks so much for joining us uh, today on the cap weekly podcast uh best of luck as again as someone I've who's ridden uh public transportation every place I get the opportunity East Coast uh, here uh Bart is such a, a a valuable asset you know I I know uh, you've got a big challenge in front of you but so good so good luck good luck thank you I appreciate it okay well thanks to Daniel Cooperman of uh, the Bart homelessness czar we all learned something here uh, Tim, that can only mean one thing. It's time for Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics.
0: The worst week. The worst week. The worst week. And we have some candidates for you this week.
1: Yeah, we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to start out with Senator Dianne Feinstein, and not for anything she did politically, um, but, you know, she was hospitalized this week with shingles. And I have to tell you, I am very grateful. I've never had shingles, but I know several people who have, and that is just miserable. And at her age and with, you know, on top of everybody dunking on her all the time because of her age, et cetera, it just seemed like the universe is piling on her a little bit because uh, shingles is such a bad experience. So uh, uh, she she definitely came to mind the first first time when I thought of who's having a bad week in California politics.
0: It is true, and you know, and I also saw that. uh, Speaking of California politics, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris actually had to go in and cast some tie-breaking votes because Feinstein was out of the Senate.
1: Right. Yeah. You know. So I mean, we clearly wish her a speedy recovery. Uh, Again, I know that's uh, so miserable. So hey, you know, don't don't wish that on anybody. So Uh, who who else you got, Tim? Well, you actually tipped me off to the uh, the folks
0: that were trying to close. The nuclear power plant at Diablo Canyon and failed this week, and you can probably go into more detail on that.
1: Well, there were three groups. Um, so the, the backstory on that is is that Diablo Canyon had uh, had requested from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to be able to keep operating after their license expires, uh, which is coming up pretty soon. The three different anti nuke groups. Uh, San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, Friends of the Earth, and the Environmental Working Group. They filed a petition with the commission urging them to deny PG&E's bid, but uh, the Regulatory Commission rejected that. So uh, much to Gavin Newsom's, uh, I guess, since he really wants it to stay open, much to his pleasure, Looks like PG&E will continue operating Diablo Canyon even after their license expires later this year.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's not a good week. And I, but I also don't get the sense that that's going to get overturned at some point in the appeal. I think that's pretty much a done deal.
1: I think so, too. So, you know, I mean, um, wherever you stand on on nuclear power, that was definitely not a good week. If you, if you oppose nuclear power in any form, this was not a good decision for you. Well, and speaking of done deal,
0: uh, my pick for who had the worst week in California politics, is the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. Uh, They had sued, or they had brought a suit trying to stop L.A. County's flavored tobacco ban from going into effect. That was passed, I believe, in 2019. Their uh, effort was turned down by a district court, Supreme Court. They went to the Supreme Court they looked at it, and said, "No, this is fine," and left it in, left that ruling in place. So, speaking of done deal, that's a done deal. And from what I understand, there's even a possibility of a flavored tobacco ban nationally. So, uh, beyond California, uh, R.J. Reynolds is probably having a pretty crappy week politically.
1: Well, and I'm not really sure what the plan was from them because there's something like 70 or 71 other municipalities around California that have similar bans to the one in L.A. County. So, were they planning to go jurisdiction by jurisdiction? Well, my
0: suspicion is if they would have won that case in in LA, they probably could have used that. Gone to the others and said, "Hey, you need to, you, you're your ruling or your ban is unconstitutional." Um, but that didn't happen. And you know, I did see you know there's a bill in the legislature right now, and I have to admit, I I'm sorry, I don't remember who wrote it to possibly ban. Californians of a certain age from ever purchasing tobacco products.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll
0: see if that goes anywhere, uh, but that would really be a bad, a bad week for the tobacco companies.
1: Absolutely. Well, and when you know when when the court declines to hear your case without comment, that basically means they considered it a giant, (laughs) a giant no, right? There, there wasn't a lot of debate on that one. So, yeah, that that's pretty emphatic.
0: Yeah. So and I did see that uh, the lower court ruling, they actually said that, you know, the argument was this was an overstep on the part of the county. Uh, The judges disagreed and said, no, this is exactly the sort of thing that a county can do to protect the health of their citizens. Uh, And this is certainly within their purview. Uh, So there was really no wiggle room. So anyway, bad for my money. That's a bad week.
1: That is a bad week. And I and I think uh, with that, we'll. We'll salute them and and let them go. Uh, you know, take care of their wounds from this this very bad week for the tobacco industry. Tim, as always, uh, great great conversation today.
0: And I do want to remind people that next week we will be broadcasting a bunch of special episodes recorded live at our conference on housing. So if housing policy is of interest to you, you're going to have a lot to listen to next week. If housing policy is not of interest to you, maybe take a week off. Uh, but we will be. We will be off of the regular episodes for a week while we run those special episodes. So thanks much for your interest. All right, Mitch, we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, Tim, take care.
0: All right. Bye-bye. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.